0: Pray with me this morning. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And leaving behind um, instruction for us and sending us a helper to help translate that instruction, Lord, we are so thankful. As we read, as we dive in today, we just ask that you would challenge us, encourage us, draw us closer to you. In your holy name. Amen. I want to ask you guys a question this morning. When people encounter you, whose reflection do they see? When people encounter you, whose reflection do they see? We're continuing this morning in a series that we've called Reflections. And we've been asking that question, how can we reflect Jesus by the way that we love, by the way that we live, and by the way that we care? I brought along with me a piece of artwork. Now this right here was hanging on our fridge at home. And I think you guys will understand this. We weren't hanging this on our fridge because we think it's the most fantastic piece of artwork, which I actually think it does. I mean, this has got to be a tree right here, don't you think? But this is hanging on our fridge because we deeply care about the artist, my daughter. See, I believe that as a mirror reflects our face, so does our actions reflect our heart. So we hang that up as a sign of our actions to communicate to Malin how much value she has with us. It is our actions that speak volumes to the world, who we are, where our treasure is, and who we follow. And as believers, we're supposed to reflect a God who cared so much that he sent his one and only son to die on a cross so that we would be saved. And that's where our focus is this morning. We're looking into how can we, Christians, people who follow God, learn to care like Jesus cared. And I think that Jesus gives us a good idea in scripture with the parable of the good Samaritan. So we have the story where we have a lawyer that comes up to Jesus and says, how am I supposed to get into heaven? He says, you know the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus goes on to tell this parable. He says there's three people. We have a priest, a Levite, and a Samaritan. They all have something in common. They're on the same road. They're on a journey to get somewhere. And they all have something in common. They see somebody that's on the side of the road who has been robbed and left for dead. But only one of them... Stops, and it is the Samaritan, and this is what it says in Luke ten verses thirty three and thirty four. You can follow along in your outline if you so choose. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, the man who had been robbed and left for dead. And when he saw him, he had compassion, and he went to him and he bound up his wounds. In this, Jesus gives us. Four tangible things, four tangible ways in which we can effectively care for other people. And the first thing we have to do, we have to see people. I've started doing something in my life that if, if you would have asked me a year ago, probably even a couple of weeks ago, uh, I would have told you that you were out of your mind. But there's something that I've come to love, and I'm a little bit ashamed to admit this, but I. I am really starting to love bird watching, okay? I know this is really strange. But Malin talked me into buying a bird feeder. So we, we bought a bird feeder and we put it out. And, and this is crazy, guys. If you buy a bird feeder, birds show up. <laughs> and so I, I, I've, I've been enjoying this so much that I've, I've even changed where I sit to eat breakfast so that I can sit and watch the birds. And I have been amazed at how many beautiful birds that live in America that I had no idea about. I mean, we got a bird book and I'm, I'm taking pictures of birds and trying to find them in the book to see. I mean, I'm just, I'm just loving this. And so yesterday morning, I'm sitting at the table, I'm watching the bird feeder, eating my muffin. It's a good day. And I see this little morning dove and I'm like, aww what a little cute little morning dove. And I I look over to Stephanie and I say, hey, I think that's one of the smallest little morning doves I've ever seen. And then not five seconds after I say this, this giant hawk comes over the fence, pounces on the dove and flies off with it. And I'm sitting there just like, and I'm so upset with myself because I had the camera in my hands, but I, I couldn't. I just, I, I just was so taken by what was going on. And I, I, we brought I didn't get a picture of the eagle, but we got a picture of the aftermath. <laughs> that poor pigeon lost a lot of feathers. He got taken as, as that hawk's breakfast. So this is like one, one, of the, one of the most incredible things I've ever seen to see like nature like happen right in front of you. But guess what? I never would have seen it if I hadn't been looking for birds. And that's exactly what I want to try to communicate to you this morning. We cannot care for people. And we cannot if we don't know that there's people out there that need care. And you guys understand this. There's there's a lot of people that need care, but they won't ask for it. Whether they just don't want to put you out or maybe they just don't want to share. And I think that sometimes there's people that we simply overlook. So the first step, I think, we've got to be people that are looking We've got to be looking. You guys understand that sometimes we just develop tunnel vision within our lives. It is so easy to get sucked into the vortex of everything that's going on in your life. Uh, Trying to raise children, trying to be a good employee, trying to keep the house clean. Whatever it is, it's just too easy to get sucked in and focus in on yourself. But you cannot effectively see other people if your eyes are always on yourself. Matthew 25, 37 says this, Then the righteous will answer Jesus, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? Lord, when did we see you? See, Jesus is communicating to us here something very important. He's saying that when you saw them, when you saw the least of these, you saw me. In fact, he goes on further to to kind of explain that one of the differences between people that go to heaven and people that go to hell are the people who saw the least of these, who saw them and then cared enough to do something for them. And that's why this is so important to to be looking. We we can't just sit around and and hope that we're going to find opportunities or or that hope that opportunities are just going to get thrown into our lap. I really think that, that we have to be looking. We've got to develop a way to be observant. This is, I, I think we've got to be curious, but not nosy. Does that make sense to you guys? I, I think there's a difference between caring to know and knowing to care. And what I mean by that is that you guys understand this. There's people that are in life that they just want to know your business. And then there, there's people in your life that want to know because they want to help. And we need to be the latter. Jesus is saying, I want you to be people that are curious, but not nosy. I think we also need to be attentive to things that change. You guys have, you know, we, we deal with people on a daily basis, most of us. And, and what would it be like to, you know, walk into work and go, you know what? That Will guy, man, he used to be so kind. Like, what's, what's going on with him? He's been so quick to be frustrated. And, and I, I wonder if there's, there's something going on with him. And then as a piece of that, we also have to be intentional about asking those questions, even if it's going to be awkward. You guys, I I think you'll agree with me on this. It would be better to ask the question and be wrong and kind of deal with an awkward situation than to say nothing at all and then regret it because you were right. Does that make sense to you guys? We've got to be people that are intentional, that are looking. In order to care for people, you have to see them. So we got to be looking. After this, the good Samaritan, after he saw him, he then had compassion for him. When he saw the man beat up on the side of the road, he literally couldn't do nothing. He was moved. He was motivated to do something. He was so bothered that he did something. And that's what I think we have to be. We have to let ourselves be bothered. Can you think of a time... When you or someone you know was so bothered that you just had to act, maybe you went to a restaurant and you had a, a really bad experience or, or maybe you went to the movie theater, had a bad experience and then the next day or even maybe that night, you, you wrote the letter to the ownership and told them about your experience because so, you were so bothered by it. Malin has been uh, reading, she's been stuck in the Civil War era and we've been reading all about the Civil War, and I've I really I I never liked history as a kid, but I am loving it now as a parent, and I'm, it's weird to say I never would have never would have guessed that. So we've been we've been reading about all these heroes, Abraham Lincoln, Harriet Tubman, all these these really cool people, and there was one that really really stuck out to me, and it was a, a lady by the name of Mary Bowser, and she did something incredible. So she was bought as a slave. And she was taken to the Van Loo family. Now, the Van Loo's were living in the South, but they were abolitionists and they were supporting the Underground Railroad. And they had bought this girl, this black girl, to be a companion for their daughter. And so they had such a good friendship. By the time they were teens, Elizabeth, the Van Loo daughter, decided, I want to send you to Philadelphia and I want to pay for your college. I want you to learn. And so that's what happened. And this woman, that Mary, this incredible woman made a choice. She decided to go back to the South and become a slave so that she could spy against the Confederates. She got a job in the White House, the Confederate White House. And as a black woman, you couldn't be educated in the South, so they weren't worried about her. But she was reading all of these things, and she was listening to conversations, and she was spying on them, and she helped them win the war. This incredible woman... this blows me away, was freed from slavery and went back into slavery because she was so bothered by the way that things were happening. And I think that's what Jesus is asking for us to, to be so bothered that we're motivated to do something, motivated to make a difference, whatever the cost, especially for the people that can't help themselves, the broken hearted the abandoned, the depressed, the lonely, the orphaned, the widowed. And I think you'll agree with me that there's a lot of wounds in this world that aren't physical. Mental, emotional, spiritual. And I think that there's a lot of people, they're not bleeding out on the side of the road, but they're going through life and they're bleeding internally. And if we're going to be bothered, we have to be able to invite them into our lives and to hear their story. Because sometimes you can't see the pain. You gotta open up your ears and listen. 1 Peter 3:8 says this. Finally, all of you should be of one mind. Sympathize with each other. Love each other as brothers and sisters. Be tenderhearted and keep a humble attitude. I, I love this idea of, of having one mind, because when you have multiple people in the room, you have all these minds. You have, you have two minds, and God's saying, I want you to make that one mind. In order for that to happen, you've got to know each other. You've got to have listened to each other's stories, because there's no way that you can sympathize with someone if you don't know what they've been through, if you don't know what they've come out of, and you don't know what they're struggling to fight through. Have you ever judged someone or something? before you've even tried it or gotten to know them? There's a youth here today, and I'm not going to name names, but he knows who he is, okay? He used to make fun of me because I love avocado smoothies. And he just thought, well, avocado smoothies, that must be the grossest thing on the planet. So I took him, and I forced him to try an avocado smoothie, and guess what? He loved it. And now he likes to go get avocado smoothies too. But he judged it because it just, it didn't sound right. It looked kind of weird. It was like, can this really be good even if you like avocados in a smoothie? Like, uh, this is strange. Can I tell you that I did not fully appreciate my wife until I spent 24 hours with Malin. okay? I'd always had this idea that you know, I'm, I'm the one that works hard and I, and I go to work and I'm, I got the stress of, of bringing home the, the bacon or whatever. And then I spent 24 hours watching her and I was like, listen, you are the greatest woman I've ever met in my entire life. But until, you, until you've experienced what they've experienced and, and understood what they go through, it's, it's hard for you to understand. It's hard for you to be bothered. There was a student in our ministry in Pennsylvania that annoyed the living mess out of everybody. But it never really bothered me that much because I knew his story. I knew the dysfunction that he came from. So it didn't bother me. I loved him because that's all he needed. He needed somebody to desperately pay attention to him. See how it changes things when when you let yourself and let people in your life? And the cool thing about this is that Jesus isn't asking for us to do anything that he didn't do already. Jesus not only left the comfort of heaven to come to earth, He purposefully and willingly faced what we face. Desolate times, hunger, temptation, sadness, pain, heartache, frustration. Mark 1, 12 through 13 says this, The Spirit then compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. Listen, I don't want to be led anywhere to be tempted for a couple hours. Jesus willingly led himself to be tempted for 40 days. Jesus got a taste of the pain that we go through and it bothered him so much, it broke his heart so much that he got up on a cross to free us from that. And that's what he's asking us to do. Jesus wants us to learn to be empathetic. And sometimes in order to do that, you have to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. Maybe you should try doing one of those 30-hour famines because after you don't eat for 30 hours, man, you, you have a different respect and love for the children that have to go to bed hungry every night. Changes things. If you go stand outside when it's super cold outside, you have a deeper respect for the homeless. You're maybe a little bit more motivated to say, I need to take one of these extra coats down there and help somebody. But what, what, what about internally? Try to imagine what it would be like maybe if you didn't have a father that loved you the way yours does. How would that change your life? Maybe try to imagine what it would be like to have divorced parents to be swapped from home to home where they just spit hate at each other. Try to imagine bottling up your love for someone or something, afraid to say anything because you'll be disowned or made fun of or be told you're going to hell. Maybe we should try to imagine what it would be like if we couldn't meet today in freedom, but we had to meet in a cave because we're worried about the government, that we were afraid to open our Bibles because we might go to jail. What I'm trying to say is that not every sinner is an irresponsible punk that wants to watch the world burn. But maybe they've become irresponsible because the only world they know is already burnt. And they just desperately need someone to step into their life and be bothered so much to care. All they need is someone who would hear them. To the care for people, we have to feel for them. And we've got to be Bothered. The Good Samaritan saw him, then had compassion, and then the Good Samaritan went to him. We've got to learn to be present. And it's important to notice what the Good Samaritan didn't do. He didn't walk over to the guy and hand him 100 bucks and say, good luck, bro. That's not what he did. He went to him. He stayed with him. He was present with him. There's a story in John 11 that some of you might be familiar with. And Jesus has three really good friends, Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. And Lazarus is sick and he's about to die and Jesus is busy doing something. And so he takes a couple days to get there. And by the time Jesus gets there, Lazarus has passed on. And the sisters are very upset. When Jesus gets there, the sisters are, are, are weeping. And in John eleven thirty five, we get the scripture, shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus weeps. Jesus wept. Might be the shortest verse, but I'd argue that it's one of the most powerful. Because let me tell you what I would do in that situation. I'd show up thinking I was cool like Jesus, and I'd be like, listen, Mary Martha, you don't even got to cry. Because it's about to get crazy in here. We're going to party, because guess what? I'm going to go to the tomb. I'm going to call out Lazarus' name, and he's going to come out, and he would be like, woo! We're going to celebrate But he doesn't do that. He takes time to be in the moment with them, to be present with them, to weep with them, even though he knows the ending. And aren't you glad that God, that's the way he is? Aren't you glad that maybe you've lost a loved one or maybe something bad has happened in your life? Aren't you glad that God doesn't show up and say, well, don't worry, because one day we're going to have heaven. Woo! It's not comforting at all. No, aren't you glad the God we serve understands our pain and weeps with us, mourns with us, comforts us through that? And that's what he's asking for us to do for others. Jesus goes to them to be face-to-face with them in the moment with them. There's something that I'm going to say, and I want you to hear my heart. This cannot be done with a crying emoji. And I think that our phones are becoming one of the biggest barriers in our lives of being present with others. And I think that in our culture, we need to learn to tread carefully because I think that we are forgetting the importance of in-person interaction. And I think we're losing the idea of what real intimacy is. I've been reading a book called iGen by Gene Twenge. And really what she's done is she's, she's looked at all of these things within social media and internet access and all these things and the effect that it's having on this next generation. So there's a couple charts that I want to show you. The first chart, we'll throw it up. The bottom line is the percentage of 8th graders that are spending 10 hours a week or more on internet, social media, and phone. And you can see that from 2009 the 2015 that skyrocketed. Now, the top line is what is called, she calls in-person social activities, the average. So you can see in this chart that we're spending less time around people and more time looking at screens. I want to read a quote from the book. She says, 8th graders who spend 10 or more hours a week on social media are 56% more likely to be unhappy than those who didn't. Admittedly, 10 hours a week is a lot. So what about those who spend merely 6 hours a week or more on social media? They're still 47% more likely to say that they are unhappy. Let me clarify something. I'm not talking about controlled, moderate use. We're talking here about excessive use. There are plenty of studies that show that what we have and, and using these things appropriately can be a great thing. My question with this research, Well, why? Why are, why are they 56% more likely to be unhappy? Because I believe that we were people created for community, people that were created for real interaction. I'm going to show the second chart. The second chart shows a list of activities. Now... This is all about relative risk of being unhappy. So the greater it is on this side means that it increases your risk for unhappiness. And the other side means that it decreases your risk for happiness. And if you notice something, sports, religious services, in-person social interaction, these are all the things that decrease your risk for being unhappy. Yet for eighth graders, the risk of unhappiness with social networking sites, internet, texting, it all is increased. I believe that too quickly we're giving up time to interact with each other and trading it for online imitation. And please hear me out. I, I'm not saying that social media and and phones and all that, I'm not saying that that stuff is bad. I, I know that you can send a text to somebody and it can... It can change their day. I've gotten one of those texts where I was down in the dumps and somebody sent me a text and it just lifted my spirits. And I, man, I can't tell you how thankful I am for FaceTime and for some of the things that we have because my daughter Maylin can have a relationship with her grandparents that I never could. Okay, I am very grateful. I simply mean to bring attention to something that can easily trap us. I think you guys understand this. You can you can get on YouTube or Pinterest or or Instagram and think "Ah, I'm just going to spend 15 minutes, and then an hour later you're still on. Like it's just it's easy to get trapped and sucked into that stuff. You you guys understand this. Like if you get a group text that says I love you, you're thinking, do you really? You you couldn't at least take the time to send me a personal text that says I love you. All I mean to say is I I don't think the crying emojis is an effective long-term strategy of care. And I'm trying to emphasize the importance of being present with people and how much of a difference it means when someone takes the time to weep with you, to rejoice with you, to be with you in the moment. Isaiah 41.10 says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be discouraged for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you and I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. God says, fear not for I am with you. But here's my question. What hope is that for people that don't believe in God? What hope is that for people that are going through junk and and don't sense God's presence? To me, that means it's time for us to care. It's time for us to be and follow Jesus' example and to stand in the gap for others. I wrote this in your outline. What if caring like Jesus means being the Jesus that they can see? And maybe you're thinking, what if what I have is not enough? What if if who I am is not enough? Can I say no one is expecting for you to show up and resurrect Lazarus? We're We're just asking that you show up and weep with Mary and Martha. That's all this is talking about. I had an experience when I was in Pennsylvania. I, I was 23 when we moved to Pennsylvania. I'd probably been a pastor for about six months, and I got a call from Pastor Jim, and he says, hey, I just want you to know uh, this guy passed away, and I really want you, I want you to go to the house, and I want you to be with the family. And I, I don't know, So maybe some of you guys get this. Maybe it's just me. I happen to be, in my early years, and I hope I'm still not today, but I probably am, uh, just a little arrogant punk, you know. So I just, I just had this, like, Superman, like, I'm, I'm just like this, this pastor, and I'm, I'm going to go in, and I'm, I'm going to save the day, and this is going to be fantastic. And I'm just, I had all the confidence in the world. I'm like, I'm going to show up and I'm, I'm going to pray these people to Jesus. And like, I'm, I'm just ready to do this. And when I got there, I knocked on the door, I walk in the house. And the guy that had passed away is on the floor in front of me. And all of my courage slowly disappeared. And I had, I had, no, I had no idea what to do. I had absolutely no idea what I was supposed to do in that moment. I sat on the couch, I prayed for them, I, I did what I thought I, I knew best how to do. Can I tell you, I, I could not have been more unprepared in that moment. I had, had no idea what to do, but it didn't matter. It was just about being there. Can I, I'm gonna ask you a question. How many of you have heard your couch speak to you? Hopefully no one. But guess what your couch can do for you? Your couch can hold you up when you're tired. Your couch can literally support you when you cannot support yourself, but yet it doesn't speak a word. And I believe the same is true of us. It's not about the fancy words. or It's just about being with people. To care for people, you have to get near them. You have to be present. The good Samaritan saw this man. He had compassion on this man. He went to this man and then last, he bound up his wounds. It's really important to notice that there's three guys in this parable. Okay, there's a priest, a Levite, and there's this Samaritan. All three of them are on this road because all three of them have somewhere to be. Okay, but there's only one that stopped. There's only one that went to this man. There's only one that was willing to let go of his agenda, the things that he needed to do to be there in this moment to help. There was only one person that was willing to be last. In Mark 6, Jesus gets some bad news. He finds out that John the Baptist has been beheaded. And it's hard news for Jesus. For those that you don't know the story that well, it's okay. John the Baptist was a pretty important guy to Jesus. Not only did he pave the way, not only did he, was he the one that, that baptized him and, and got that experience with him where the Holy Spirit came down, John the Baptist was also Jesus' cousin. This was a really important guy to Jesus. And Jesus was heartbroken. And you know what he does? Jesus, he, he gets the disciples together. He says, let's go away from this crowd. They've been ministering. Let's go away from this crowd. And let's go and let's, let's pray. Let's go by ourselves. Let's get our minds right. Let's, let's, let's mourn. And so that's what they do. They get into the boat and they start heading over, but the crowd finds out where they're going and they get there before they get there. So Jesus gets out of the boat. And this, this is where we find in Scripture. This is John or Mark 6, sorry, Mark 6, 34. He went ashore and he saw the great crowd and Jesus had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. This is what I want you to see here. Jesus elevated their needs above his own. Jesus needed that time to go be alone, to pray with Jesus. He, he needed that, but he gave that up Because he had compassion on the people. He elevated their needs above his own. And this is is what I think Scripture is trying to communicate to us. And I I think what it shows us is that caring, caring is really all about love. And we understand this. It's, It's easy to love our family. It's easy to love those that love us, right? Like, I wouldn't hesitate to lay down my life for my wife. And my daughter wouldn't even, wouldn't even hesitate. But would I do that for the least of these? Would I do that for my enemies? See, it's not as easy to care for those that we see as our enemies, those that we see as unlovely. But maybe what we have to do is we have to change the way that we see them. We have to really see them, be willing to hear their story, to be bothered for them, to be present with them. And I believe that real care can turn our enemies into our enemies. Neighbors we can turn our enemies into our family, and I understand this. You can, you can be the best caregiver in the world, it doesn't always happen that way. It's not always going to change them, but let me make you a promise when you choose to care for somebody that it's difficult to care for, it may not change them, but I promise you, it'll change you. The nature of sin is, is to be consumed with ourselves. And that's what Jesus came to free us from. Jesus came to show us that, that real joy in life comes from caring for others, from putting their needs above our own. You guys have heard this before? Happy wife, happy life. But the opposite is also true. I came up with this because this is all I could think of. Happy man, happy clan. Okay, I don't know, that's terrible. You're going to forget that by the end of the service. But you guys understand that it works both ways because the way God intended for marriage to work is that when two people care for each other and put each other first, everybody's happy because Jesus knew something we didn't. He knew that our wife was going to be a better caregiver to ourselves than ourselves would. And that's what God's trying to communicate to us. And I know it's hard. I know it takes... Time and energy and effort and creativity. And and sometimes it comes at the expense of our own needs because we have to elevate those. But let's be honest just for a moment. It's not so much that that it's our needs that bother us. Sometimes it bothers us because it it, it comes at the cost of our wants. We've got to learn to make time. And this is why it's important because ultimately as we care for others, we're trusting that God will care for us. When I graduated college I started working at Crossings Community Church up on the north side. And the pastor I was working for, Mike Fackler, came to me and he said, Man, I really, really need you to go to to middle school camp. And at that point I had been married and I'm like, listen, Mike, I don't know if you know this, but like I'm hourly paid, so if homie don't show up to work, I don't get paid. So that's a whole week. I got like a family to support now. Like this is like <laughs> Adulting, real life decisions coming on, you know? And and so I was like, okay, let let me pray about it. I'll pray about it. We'll come back to it. And so I just, I really felt like the Lord laid it on my heart. This is something that you need to do. And so I said, okay, I'm going to trust you. So I went to middle school camp. The day I, I went right back to work, the day I came back and there was an envelope in my mailbox. And I opened up that envelope and it was a check to me for a really weird amount. And it wasn't payday. And so I'm like, this is really strange. So I went and I took it to Joe. He was head of financials. I took it to him. I handed it to him. I said, Joe, I don't have any clue why I got this check. And he grabbed the check. He looked at the check. He looked at me, looked at the check. He said, I'm pretty sure this was a mistake. I said, oh, okay. Did you just want to you know, keep it and tear it up or whatever? And he said, no, just, just keep it. What? You want me to keep the accidental money that you've given to me, and, and I don't know, maybe those of you that know crossings, you're just thinking to yourself, well, that's just crossings. They just throw money at everybody. No, 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 organi- no organization ever operates that way. I believe with all my heart that as I chose to care enough to go to middle school camp, God chose enough to care and did something and sent me a check. I believe God wrote that check. All because I was willing to put somebody else's needs before my own. That's, that's what he wants us to see here. He's saying, if you would care for my people, I will care for you. Matthew 20, 16 tells us the same thing. So those who are last in this world shall be first in the world to come, and those who are first last. I want to leave you this with this verse, and then I want to pray over you. This is Luke 10:37. And this is at the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan. And the lawyer says, so what am I supposed to do? So Jesus says, well, which, which one of these three, out of the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which one of these was a good neighbor? And the lawyer says, well, obviously it was the Good Samaritan. And then Jesus says these words to him. He says, then you go and do likewise. So the same thing that Jesus told the lawyer, I say to you, as you leave this place, go and do likewise. Be looking, be bothered, be present, be last. Let me pray for you. Father God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your truth. And Lord, I I know that there's, there's a lot of people out there that they need to be cared for. Lord, I really believe that the heart of it is that as we care like you, they don't see us. They see your reflection. They see your truth. They see your life. So Lord, I I believe that you've called us in your great commission to go and to make disciples. I think that there's a lot of people that are on board for that, but Lord, there's some that that there's just not because they've been hurt. They've been broken. And before they're going to believe in anything, they just need somebody to care for them. So, Lord, I just ask that you would inspire us. I ask that you would help us, that you would open our eyes, that, that you would uh, have us to be looking for people that, that need care, Lord, that you would, you'd help us to be so bothered to have to do something, Lord, that, that we'd be willing to be present with them and that we'd be willing to, to choose to be last, knowing and trusting and having faith enough to know that you are going to look after us. So give us the strength and courage as we leave this place, Lord. Challenge us, uplift us, help us to be the care in this world. Help the world to see you through us. We love you, we praise you in your holy name, amen.